so you've got an idea for a good movie, right? Or maybe you're in the process of making a film, a short film, shooting an idea, scene. Maybe you're just recording a podcast or recording, uh, videotaping a podcast or videotaping any sort of content. And like with so many people, you're trying to figure out how the hell do I get people to watch it? How do I get people to, to notice it? Right? Doesn't it seem like on a daily basis, almost, almost 12 hours, 14 hours a day, we're going through the process of deciding what it is that we're going to look at. Whether it's on television, whether it's on YouTube, or whether you're just slowly swiping through Instagram. Like, what do you stop at? What means something to you? What has value? Right? It's fascinating. And as a, as a storyteller, that's a big part of what our lives are right now. Is getting people to pay attention. Because the idea that you do it, the, the, the romance or the, the, the mysticism around the fact that you physically do it is over. It's not, it's not the same that it used to be when we were growing up. It's like, oh my God, you direct movies. Wow, that's amazing. It's, it's like, okay, you're a director. Cool. You know what I mean? It's different. So isn't it a strange thing for us now that we have to get good. We have to figure it out. You have to learn the craft. You have to learn the techniques involved to make something worth watching. But 50% of it is just trying to figure out how to get people to see it. Right? And how many of you have made things, whether it's a music video, whether you're a band and you put out a promo, that don't get a lot of views? And the only people that end up looking at it are friends and relatives, right? I mean, that's cool within itself. The fact that you've accomplished it and you put it out there, good on you, man. That's awesome. But how do you get more people to look at it? And they need those people to look at it, right? You need that page count or the play count or the page views to get someone that has a larger budget or maybe even a studio to pay attention to you, right? So how, how do you do it? And I think that's what today's episode's about. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about fan films on this, on this episode. And for those of you who know my work and who have listened to the episodes in the past, you know that I've done a fan film. I did a film called The Dead Can't Be Distracted, which was based upon... A, a comic series by written by Greg Rucka uh, for Marvel on The Punisher. It was a fan film that ultimately got banned from being released because I didn't own the rights to it, which is the risk I took when I was making a fan film. But I was doing that because, A, I wanted to tell a great story about The Punisher because I didn't think anything was cool at that point. This was pre-Netflix. Um, but also, B... I needed to get more people looking at my stuff. And so that's what the studios do, right? They, they actually will go out and buy the rights to do that because it comes with a, a fan base, right? I mean, there are, there's a rabid Punisher fan base. I mean, literally, you'll get like military contractors putting skulls on their vests because they love the Punisher so much. So it seemed like a no-brainer to me. And I had seen it work successfully for other fan films, like the guys that did the Mortal Kombat fan film, or even the other Punisher fan film that came out right before ours, Dirty Laundry. There was a bunch of other things that had gone through that seemed to get a lot of attention. And that was why I did it. And 
We'll talk about a bit of that on the show and, and what the outcome of that was. But really, how I got to where I am today on this episode was because of a late night, can't sleep, sort of sorting through Instagram. We all do it, right? You leave your phone in the other room, by the way, because if you fucking don't, you're never going to get sleep. But yeah, going through your phone, right? And so I was just sorting through the feed and I came across this muted footage and by meter, I mean no audio, and just saw this desert footage, and it looked like Indiana Jones. It literally looked like a new Indiana Jones movie, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And a lot of the camera work looked like Spielberg. I'm like, wow, Spielberg's back to do this kind of thing? And then the title came up, and it was like, Star Wars Origins. And I'm like, what? what is this? Is it Indiana Jones? Is it Star Wars? Is this official? It's not official. It's a fan film. Well, shit, it looks like it should be official. I mean, it's epic. I'm going to put all the links below. You should definitely check it out. And it got me thinking about the scale of this film, about the filmmaker behind this film. Like, how did they afford this? (coughs) And they obviously have some skill, right? So they were able to make it seem like it's Spielberg. So there's some skill here. Who is this guy? So I did a little bit of research reached out and uh, discovered uh, this great filmmaker. Uh, and his name is uh, Phil Hawkins. Sorry about the delay there. My The internet was kind of lagging. So I reached out and uh, found a really great filmmaker named Phil Hawkins. Right. So this is a dude from the UK. He directed this film. Um, and he's been around for a while. He's done a bunch of commercials. And he's done a bunch of features. He's done features that have been distributed by Sony and a bunch of other different companies. Which had me questioning, like, why are you doing a fan film? Why are you going what seems to be backwards to do this film? And uh, I had him on the show. I'm recording the intro after we've already done the interview. We just finished. And uh, we go to some really interesting places. And he talks about how this film basically brought him back from the quote-unquote dark side. And how it really sort of brought light back into his passion for making movies. It's a good episode. It's really great with that. So stick around. Check it out. Uh, Definitely, if you can, I'll try to put the link below. I think he's going to send me all the information. Watch the short before you get into it. I will tell you to do so as you listen to the show. Um, And I just want to stop for a second and just thank you guys. I appreciate the support that I've been getting from you guys uh, for season two. Uh, The podcast has been phenomenal. This new series has been fantastic. Uh, All the new guests are really great. Uh, And because you guys are giving attention, because you guys are going and rating it, right? You're rating it on Apple uh, Podcasts. You're rating it on Spotify. Um, It allows me to have... The attention, the clout to be able to just randomly write to this guy uh, last night and get him on the show this morning, right? So that's why it's important that you guys continue to talk about this show, to say that you like this show, to say that you want to hear more of the show because it empowers me to get these people to respond quickly. That's really what it comes down to because once again, what this episode's all about, I'm a little guy raising my hand in a sea full of fucking podcasts. So why be on my show? Because my fans are loyal, because the show is real, we don't talk bullshit, we talk real shit, 
Um, and I appreciate you guys for that. As always, continue to support us. Show some love. If you like this episode, show some love. Steal some of the images from uh, the inlovewiththeprocess.com website. I spent a lot of time putting that fucking website together for you guys. So go and check it out. There you can sort through episodes by topic, right? So if you want to listen to episodes from directors only, bam, listed. If you want to listen to episodes from artists, musicians, whatever you want, it's broken down because I know it can get daunting now that we're crossing into the high 50s for episodes. You sort of look at that feed on Apple Podcasts and you're like, fuck, there's 50 of these. Where do I start? Well, you could start at one if you want, or you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and then cherry pick what episodes you want to go through. Um, There is a continuity to the show, but it's not necessary. So hopefully that'll make it easier for you. And check us out on Instagram, at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Uh, There, that is the only place that you can see any of my films. Uh, You have to write to me and ask to see them. And then I'll send you a private link because I'm not putting them online for free. Um, And then uh, check out the podcast. So uh, In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Um, And uh, holiday season is approaching. I'm going to try to get some stuff up. I might be putting some prints up. I might be um, giving away some old DVDs. Just some stuff to get out there because people have been asking, what are you selling? What do you got for the holidays? So we'll see what I can pull together between now and then. Uh, Super late to the game, as always. And yeah, so that's it, man. I really appreciate it. So this is a really great episode. I'm really excited to hear what Phil, or to have you guys hear what Phil and I have already talked about. But let's pretend like I haven't recorded. I'm really excited to hear what Phil has to say about making a fan film and how it's going to affect his career. Um, So you know the deal. Uh, Do yourself a favor. Find that comfy couch. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back, relax, and enjoy something more interesting than Baby Yoda here on In Love With The Process. Hey, Phil, thanks for being on the show, dude. How are you? I am so excited to be on the show. I've been a, I've been a distant fan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I, I'm more delighted uh, to be on the show. So thank you. Well, you know, when I reached out, I saw your stuff yesterday. It's so funny how fast like, we can do this stuff now with Instagram and everything else. And I had just seen a quick clip from your film yesterday, and I just happened to write to you, and you were like, I listened to the show. I was like, no shit. <laughs> so it worked out pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? And then you're like, well, how do you find me? It's like, oh, it's completely random how you found me. So mm-hmm. let's, call this, let's call this fate. You know, let's call this fate. <laughs> it sounds good to me, man. <laughs> um, so for the, <laughs> for the people listening to the show um, who don't know who you are, and actually, I'll just say that I found you because I saw, I think I just saw a teaser or a clip from your upcoming um, fan film for star wars yeah and that's that's how yeah i ended up getting my uh getting in touch with you uh but catch us up tell us about who you are and uh and uh where you come from 
I can hear people rolling their eyes already when they talk about Star Wars fan films. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's uh, maybe a sl- I've come from maybe a slightly unusual uh, perspective because I'm actually a professional working director. I've you know been directing commercials and feature films for the past. Uh, Oh, uh, 12 years, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. 12 years ago, I got that first paycheck and could finally say I was an actual director to people instead of kind of muttering it under my breath when people asked me why, <laughs> what I did or what I wanted to do. Um, so, um, sort of in a nutshell, I, um, I, uh, started actually making, uh, it's funny when you think about it, I've sort of almost come full circle a little bit because some of my first films were fan films. I made a, Spoof of the Phantom Menace. I made uh, kind of uh, episodes of the X Files, which I was hugely obsessed by, and um, and you know grew up on the kind of Amblin Spielberg movies, uh, and was sort of fascinated by the process. You know, fascinated by how these films could trick me uh, into <laughs> being shot, scared. You know, I, I was amazed, and even though I knew jumping onto my auntie's knee watching Jurassic Park for the first time that. Um, that they weren't real, I was there, I was transported, you know, for that two hours in that darkened room, you know, I was taken to those worlds. And, uh, and that's where the fascination became, uh, began. So I uh, just started making shorts for my mates and um, uh, some of which I still work with uh, hilariously. And um, yeah, we made these fan films and then um, some of them were, you know, uh, it, it was we talk about being in love with the process, uh, and it was, it was sort of, I was kind of obsessed with the process. I, 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 I was struggling to figure out like why my films didn't look like or sound like those films that I saw, you know, in the cinema or, or, you know, on television. So every film I made, and we're talking like I was, uh, sort of 14, 15 years old, you know, um, doing this. I think I made my first short when I was 12, 13. So, you know, it's from a very early age, a kind of new, you know, that I had this obsession. Um, and, uh, yeah, every film I tried to kind of improve the last and, and that, that became my film school. So, uh, eventually, you know, one of those couple of those shorts got noticed. Um, uh, you know, we were talking about fate earlier, this podcast, I feel that a lot of my career has sort of been fate, you know, right place, right time and, and a heck of a lot of wrong places and definitely wrong <laughs> times. Um, but, uh, uh, it was at a screening of a short I did uh, that I bumped sort of back into uh, a, a kind of contact I made who was working in the industry and in the commercial industry. And they said, hey, we're shooting tomorrow. Do you fancy coming, being a runner and seeing, you know, uh, how it all works? So I, you know, strode onto the set thinking I knew everything and realized how little I actually knew about actually professional <laughs> filmmaking. Um and then, yeah, and then basically worked up the ranks. So I, um, you know, I was, uh, I was a, a runner and then kind of uh, t- just, I, I just tried to immerse myself in every single department. So I did a bit of everything, did a lot of camera department. Um, this was still in the days um, when, you know, I was on the tail end of shooting film on commercial. So I was starting to learn how to load film and, and, and do that. Yep. Um, and then it all became lovely digibeta, and we thought that would change the world. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and then and then basically, a uh, sort of a production company uh, took me under their wing, uh, and I uh, started assisting the directors. I started editing for the other directors. You know, these are kind of more experienced, well, very experienced directors. Learned a lot from those guys, um, 
and then then got the opportunity to direct kind of a, a charity kind of commercial that that won a few awards and uh and then um are we bored yet we still here uh, <laughs> no, and, then, um, and then <laughs> and then i um i did that and it won a few awards and then you know I, I kind of started to build this little reel doing commercials uh and then you know and then kind of took the plunge really i was in this at the time what was uh sort of felt secure as in this kind of full-time but very low-paid job but at the time it was just me yeah. living in a kind of student house I didn't you know have any overheads really so it was fine and I was kind of working all hours uh, again obsessed with learning everything I could yeah because you know I, I, I you sort of look at the greats and you look at these people who uh, no lenses, no, you know, no lighting, no kind of every uh, intimate details of uh, the whole process. And I was like, if I'm going to try and, um, you know, be the quote unquote leader of these people, when I eventually get the opportunity to direct something, you know, that, who, who are going to help me achieve this creative vision, I need to be able to talk their language. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so I basically was just that guy that always asked all the questions, um, and um, but also made sure that all the heads of departments all, always had a very nice coffee in their hands, perfectly made the way they like it. So they were very happy to uh, uh, answer my questions because I was the guy that brought them coffee. Um, so um, so yeah, so that 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 was it really. And then I sort of took, as I say, I took the plunge. Uh, I had this little reel, and I kind of went f- sort of freelance. Uh, and then the kind of production company at the time that you know I, I kind of left. Um, that kind of full-time job uh I I got really nervous kind of telling them that I kind of wanted to go freelance and just concentrate on directing because by that point I was still assisting I was editing I was kind of doing you know doing all sorts of things yeah and they basically said um we thought you'd ask us six months ago (laughs) (laughs) um so they were they 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 could see it coming and then you know and then it sort of took off and then the whole then I just the budget started creeping up on commercials um and, um, but I, you know, commercial is interesting because I, I never, if you asked me as that kid watching Jurassic Park that I was going to become a commercial director, you know, I didn't know anything about the world. I wasn't particularly interested in commercials. I mean, it's just sort of, what were these things that you kind of skip through or, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. um, but you know, I kind of became to appreciate the, uh, I hate to say art form, it makes it sound really pretentious, but you know, the, the, the art of making something in 30 seconds, Sure, you know, I think that's a real skill. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure it is. And, uh, and then, yeah, but I never let the drama thing go because I feel like, you know, if any filmmakers are into this, that are storytellers, that whole storytelling brain or ghost or, you know, <laughs> however you want to describe it. Um, always keeps tapping on the shoulder to tell you, you need to make that short. You need to tell that story. You need to, you know, mm-hmm. you can't get too comfortable just selling things. You know, you need to itch, itch that, uh, uh scratch the itch. And, um, so that's why I, and I didn't really stop making shorts and I made a lot of these, which I love. I don't know whether you've done them yourself, but you know, these 48 hour film competitions. Oh, I, I um, did. I did two. Yes. I had done two of those in the past. Yeah, I mean it's um, they're, they're great. Um, they're, they're brilliant because you, you know, you you start on a Friday with nothing, and then on Monday you've got a film, and it's just it's amazing. And I did, I did a few of those, 
some, you know, we won a few and some we didn't, but that wasn't really the pro. It was kind of, again, scratching that storytelling itch. Mm -hmm. And also you realize in commercials there are a lot of other people that are, you know, some people kind of top of their game in commercials, but haven't really shot any drama or would love to tell some stories. So you end up, you know, with a quite experienced team uh, making these things uh, on, you know, a zero budget. Um, yeah, and you end up being able to make them look quite nice for the listeners that are listening that don't know what it is. So there's a 48 hour, and it's been around for a while. It's called the 48 hour film project. I don't know if they're still doing it. They might be, um, but essentially they travel around. They go to different states or different cities, um, and uh, they sort of set up a competition. And the idea is, at least when I was doing it, the idea was that. Uh, you put together a team of people that are going to work with you. You have no idea what your movie's about. And they basically put like a bunch of themes in a hat, like some, some characters maybe, a line of dialogue. Um, and you show up to this event and they pull out all this stuff and they hand you essentially the skeleton, or, or not even the skeleton, just some ideas of what your <laughs> short's going to be about. And then you have 48 hours to write it, cast it, shoot it, do post-production and turn it around. Um, and yeah, it's actually a really great exercise. I, I did, I directed one, um, years ago, which was a lot of fun. I think we ended up winning audience award and something else. Um, but it was, it was a really great, uh, exercise in, uh, being on your toes and learning how to be flexible, which was like very, very cool because whenever we, at least whenever I used to do stuff where I'd write an idea or come up with you know, some fucking genius thing that I thought I was super smart about <laughs> and, and made this <laughs> made this piece. And then you get so you get so attached to the stupid details. You get attached to a lot of these little minutia points that the audience really doesn't give a shit about. And so um, the 48 hour film project was really great at sort of throwing your ego out the window and throwing out any of that. And it was really about a deadline, being able to meet a deadline, being able to do something creative within that time frame, And it was really good for me, at least producing and just being able to say, okay, what can I, how can I wow a group of people in the screening? Because they're going to see a bunch of these and I know what most of these are going to be because people aren't going to have access to locations and stuff. And so you end up figuring out how to be smart and how to make things look bigger and how to make add production value to something that you're basically creating in 48 hours. Um, and Mm. It was it was for me. It was a really fun exercise. I did, I directed one, and then I I shot a friend of mine's the year after. Mm. Um, but you make cool. an interesting point about that the um, that idea of being in the moment. Yeah, you know, I feel like some of my best work is the unplanned stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm a, I'm a meticulous planner. I'm like you. You know, I'm I'm all about the de- I'm all about the detail. Um, but you know, you you you're really kind of shooting from the hip and having to be very instinctual um, and uh, in a four-hour film challenge. You don't have time to overthink what you're shooting. Yep. So you almost become the, the kind of purity of the audience, you know, because as, as, as soon as you start working on something, you start to lose objectivity, you know, the longer that you go along with it. Yep. And, you know, for example, Origins, Star Wars Origins, I've been working on this film for over three years. <laughs> so, you know, you get to the point when you're like, okay, you, you almost need to start seeing it with people for the first time to kind of recharge that feeling for the audience because you forget the surprises. You forget that all this stuff you've engineered to, say, be a surprise or a twist or something exciting or funny because, you know, you've, 
you've you've almost uh, thought about it to death, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a funny thing. I mean, I'm sort of skipping ahead to origins, but obviously we can come back. But it's sort of relevant because I prevised the entire film origins, like even all the dialogue scenes, everything. I just I wanted to get a sense of the film way before um, you know I shot it. Uh, and I can't draw. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a storyboard artist. You know, I do little scamps, but um, I mm-hmm. wanted to have something you could kind of sit and watch. Part mm-hmm. is a pitch thing to show people the scale, but also because, you know, it's a very, very, very ambitious film, mm-hmm. um, especially on the budget. So it's like, well, if I can previs this to the nth degree, and I can then break that down into and not waste. You know, kind of like, well, what's what's the point in building that side of the set if we don't need it? What's the point in getting that thing if we don't need it? You know. Yep. Um, but uh, but I remember day one we shot a dialogue scene, um, and obviously the actors were amazing. We blocked it, you know, um, and um, it was quite a static scene uh, in terms of blocking. So there wasn't a lot there to change, you know, for the actors to change. Um, which I'm very open to. I love when actors come in and, you know, switch things around. It's again, keeping on your toes. But so I shot this scene and it almost, I was, I was in the desert. I had my dunes. I had my extras. I had my camels, you know, I had the 40 <laughs> degree heat, you know, it was all anamorphic lenses. We're all there. I was like, and, and I was watching a scene and I was like, why am I not excited? Like, why am I, if I'm being very honest, it's like, why do I feel a bit underwhelmed? It wasn't the performances. It wasn't the acting. It wasn't any, that, that, all that was fantastic. But I realized I'd overthought. I'd already, I felt like I'd already shot it because yep. I'd overthought it. Yep. And then I, and then I wondered, oh God, is this what the rest of the film is going to be like? Like I've worked so hard for so many years and spent so much money to get to this point and I'm, and I'm not going to enjoy it. Like how do I get that buzz back? Um, <laughs> but then, but then shit hit the fan uh, and the schedule went out the window and people got sick and I lost actors, this illness and, like, and I basically then had to go back into kind of wildfire improvised mode. And, um, and it was great again. Yeah. Obviously stressful, but maybe that's part, maybe that's my, uh, maybe that's my kind of most creative, um, part of it. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's where I do my best work <laughs> as I was saying before. <laughs> uh, well, hold on. So, yeah. So that, that's why the fire. Hmm? Well, hold on. Let me, let me stop you here and let me catch the audience up. So, the uh, so Phil's made a film called Star Wars Origins, and now it's a fan film. And most of the time, when you think fan films, you sort of roll your eyes and you go, "Okay, it's a couple nerds in a basement somewhere, you know, playing around." And and I am a guy who made a fan film, so I I know exactly mm-hmm. what people are thinking when you say fan film. Um, but when I saw this stuff, I it didn't, and I'm not going to give anything away. Like I'll put a link for the film below the episode, or I'll I'll make sure that we advertise where you guys can see it. Um, the The thing about it is that when you first look at it, you don't know if it didn't have the title, I wouldn't have known that it was a Star Wars piece right away. And the thing that mm-hmm. the movie definitely does have, which I love, is the it has the uh, DNA of a Spielberg movie. It just does. It just feels like a Spielberg movie. And because of the scale and the scope of the locations and the quality of how you shot this stuff, um, it's it's an eye catcher. And and um, um, among all that bullshit that you scroll through on Instagram, I stopped 
randomly. No one suggested yeah. it. I just saw it and I stopped. Um, and so for those of you listening at home, as we continue, you may want to stop now and watch it and then come back into this because it'll make a little bit more sense. And I'm going to make sure that we don't talk about spoilers or anything on the show. But I think it's important to recognize that you've done such a great job uh, figuring out the DNA and sort of translating that DNA into being your own piece, which is smart and good. Um, and there's a lot of really clever stuff that ties it into the Lucas universe, which is which is great. Um, so like I said, I'm not going to ruin anything for anybody that's listening. I just wanted to catch everybody up, check it out. Definitely click the link or definitely check this stuff out now. And then we'll get into the show a bit <laughs> more. Uh, so it makes sense to you guys. Cause, um, I was just very impressed, man. And I think one of the things that uh, I really wanted to talk about on this show, which I don't think I've done yet on the, on the series is, uh, talk about fan film stuff. And so I did a, yeah. a bunch of research this morning because you and I just chatted yesterday. So I did a bunch of research this morning and I found out that, yes, you have done other movies. You've done like five features. You did a feature with Robert England, for Christ's sakes. You know, yeah. you know Freddy yeah. Krueger, which was, uh, what was that? The last the last showing? The last showing, yeah. Yeah, the last showing. Yeah. Which and was it had uh, Finn, Finn Jones, Iron Fist, before he was Iron Fist. And uh, Hell yeah. Emily Barrington, who was in a great show called Humans. And uh, it was, yeah, good cast, good cast. Dude, and I had seen the trailer for that um like when did it come out like about a year ago or something like that so um no it's a couple, a couple of, yeah a couple of years ago now yeah yeah i'm in a i'm literally strapped in a delorean going through time travel so a couple of years ago could have been last week <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> so hey as someone that's had that's got 16 month old twins um like uh <laughs> this past and and making this film at the same time like that's the insanity you know uh it's crazy they, they were born i said hi and then, you know, I, then I went to Morocco. Um, <laughs> that was pretty crazy. Well, let's, if, um, you, if, if you'll, if you'll ride, go on this ride with me, let's talk a little bit. I'm about, there, man. <laughs> let's talk about fan films. Um, and let's talk about, let me ask you the serious question because uh, in the past, like I did a Punisher fan film that was never released. And I don't know if you had heard about that, but I actually did something prior to Netflix, prior to all this stuff, and uh, we got a bunch of attention around it ahead of time, uh, and I got a really great press, um, and then uh, Disney sent the cease and desist. So the thing never got to be finished. The thing never got to be released. Now, Wow, I wondered about that, because I did hear about the Punisher fan film, yeah, um, that, that was and amazing. I just thought I never got around to seeing it. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, they shut it down, So, which is fine. And it's it's honestly a risk taken on my part because whenever you decide to do something with someone else's intellectual property, that's the risk. I mean, technically, you're not supposed to do it, technically. And yeah, as you go through this process, you're not supposed to make any money on it. You can't make any money on it. So it's you ask yourself that question, and, and uh, you know, it's a reasonable question. Like, why the fuck do it? And for... <laughs> For me and for us, we I just was such a big fan of The Punisher, and there wasn't anything out at that point. It had just been um, the two movies that were out before that, and it just wasn't done correctly. And so I just wanted to show that it could be done in an interesting way, and in a new way. And it's a good calling card. It's a good way to get interested, because I thought in my ignorance at that time that that would be 
a, like I could just pitch it to Marvel and be like, hey, why don't we just do a web series or do something like that? Not understanding the giant fucking machine that was soon to take over the entire planet, um, <laughs> which is the mouse. So um, I ask you this question now because you do have features. You do have a feature that was you know put together by Sony and distributed. Um, why go back and do a fan film? Why not do original content? Uh, I mean, I, I would argue that this is original. <laughs> it just, uh, it just, it, it, it just lends, um, IP. I guess that's, uh, that's the season of this coming straight to my door now. Uh, but no, I mean, it's, <laughs> no, um, it's, uh, f- firstly it was, I mean, there's, I keep going back to the thing of fate because, you know, we work in an industry where you speak to 10 people and 10 people will tell you completely different ways of how they survive work, yeah. uh, you know, earn money, uh, progress in this industry. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy business. Um, and especially for someone who's in the UK that doesn't have immediate access to studio filmmaking, you know, the filmmaking that we do over here um, is kind of lottery funded. It's almost like a, it's almost like a handout. It's like a film charity, you know. Um, hmm. we, we're very, very good at, you know, we have amazing technicians, amazing actors. You know, we, we have Pinewood Studios. You know, we're, we're, we're shooting your stuff for you <laughs> and then handing it back along with those humongous profits and then, you know, then scrambling around trying to make more film. You know, it's kind of a weird thing over here. Um, and uh, it's um, so it's a few things. It's kind of maybe that sort of frustration of, you know, not that I'm a guy that ever sits and waits for the phone to ring because you know that's not me, and I don't think anyone should ever do that. But right. it, it especially is not going to ring to tell me to go and make an action adventure film in the desert. Like that's <laughs> never going to happen, you know. So, and also, it, it was sort of firstly it's a story I just wanted to tell. You know, I had this idea, I thought it'd be fun, um, and I was kind of going through. If I'm being honest, I was going through a bit of a kind of sort of personal, uh, sort of internal struggle crisis. Maybe it's, maybe it sounds um, dramatic when I say it like this, but <laughs> you know, I really struggled with whether I should continue to be the filmmaker, the storyteller. You know, because I'm very lucky. I uh, direct commercials and that pays my bills. And, you know, I have a nice life doing that. And I mean, that could all crumble next week. You know, it's, a, it's that's the freelance world. But, you know, I've, I've, I've done that for a decade now and I've got a reel and a reputation and that's all fine. Um, and I was getting very close to doing some very big films. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all... And everyone's got these war stories, but you know, um, they fell apart, you know, for, for different reasons, you know, um, one particularly, which actually sort of led on to origins and shooting in Morocco. Uh, there was a, a film about the kind of Greek war of independence, but it was kind of like a Romeo and Juliet set, set against it. Great script. Uh, I had, uh, you know, Spielberg's unit production manager had Ridley Scott's production designer. You know, it was, was going to be a sweeping epic thing. You know, I was sort of doing this month long recce of Morocco, mm-hmm. deciding where my hundred horses were going to ride over hills. Yeah, you know, it's that kind of thing. Oh and then God, one day you're on top of the world and then the next day the, the money's gone, you know, and that, that hurts, you know, because we have to, we have to genuinely love 
what we do, what we're making. You know, you when you read that script for the first first time, you need to fall in love with it. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, it's like a giving, you know, it's like a, having a baby, raising a child. Um, yes, that's when you're making it. But then, you know, you need the romance, <laughs> you know. You need the, uh, reading that script is like the first date, you know. And, uh, hey, I'm a romantic. I, I'll fall head over heels in love uh, <laughs> with anything. Um, but, um, and because I'd been heartbroken, genuinely heartbroken on a few projects, because because for me to become excited, I have to fall in love with it. And then when it doesn't happen, you get your heart, you know, smashed into pieces because you have to love to care about something this much to spend that much time and energy and money, you know, on something, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and away from your family. You know, this is a recent thing that I'm, uh, you know, trying to find the balance of being a, you know, a busy working director with a, you know, uh, with a very kind of unpredictable schedule with having, uh, you know, babies and a wife and a, you know, and a more, uh, and a home life that almost demands a more, um, predictable or kind of, um, reliable, you know, timescale. So, um, so, uh, I do this. I go around the houses. I apologize, audience. I, I am coming back to my point. <laughs> but I think is that it was, so this film was born out of, so why, why a fan film? It was born out of frustration. It was like, I'm getting so close to making the films that I, that I'd love to make, yep. but I'm not getting the opportunity to show what I can do. So I basically, I almost, I quit basically. I said to myself, right, I'm not, I'm done. I'm done with features. I'm done with, um, you know, short films, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to direct, I'm going to be that. I'm going to direct commercials. That's maybe why I'm supposed to be here. It didn't happen for me, you know? Um, and that's brutal. But, you know, that's, uh, it is, and I, uh, you, you know, and I'm you know, you, you, your own worst critic. But and I, I, and for that few months or however long it was, I was not a likable person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you asked my wife, you know, she was. I was insufferable mm-hmm. um, because, you know, because it because that's who I am. I'm here. I feel like I'm here to tell stories. Um, and if I'm not telling stories, then you know what? What am I doing? Just selling stuff? You know? I mean, that's fun. It's great. I mean, I'm. And I'd, please, list, dear listener, don't think I'm complaining, you know. Um, no, because, but, but come on. It, it, the truth of the matter of it is, is that you got into this stuff to tell stories. I got into this stuff to tell stories. And, you know, you are told for good reason that it takes time. Like, and I talk about that on the show all the time. It's like, it's going to be eight years before anybody even gives a fuck about you. So it's going to take, it takes, <laughs> yeah. it takes that long. And so you're told that. And, and what you do is you, you hunker down and you work really hard and you develop your skills and you're fucking, you're handing coffee to the right people and you're, you're learning and you're asking the right questions and you're learning about lighting and you're learning about blocking and you're, you're just, you're stacking this arsenal. You're, you're building this toolbox. You have this full toolbox of everything you need. And the thing that makes it, better or worse, is that every time, at least I learn these things, I fall even more in love with everything, where it's just like, that Mm. is so fucking cool. And I get to, that is really cool. And this is really great. And so you start to stack these things. And then you have these moments where you can, you can explore them. Like if you get the opportunity to direct a film, or you're doing a short, or sometimes if you're doing a commercial, you get to explore these things. And then 
you fall even more in love with it because you're like, oh, I'm fucking good at this. Like, I'm really good at this. And like, I know that this works and then this works. And then you're just practicing. You're practicing these human interactions and how do I get the crew to do what I need? And how do I get this edit right? And how do I get the audience to respond to my stuff? And then you hit that point where it's like, cool, I'm good. I know I'm fucking good. And the people that watch my stuff think I'm good. So now I have to go through the miracle process of getting something big and getting something made and breaking through that next point. And like you said, it's fucking heartbreaking because Mm. you're introduced to this stuff. And dude, I sympathize 100% with that mode that you found yourself in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I did um, did a little uh, talk... um, the a, a few months ago and um and it was about you know being a independent you know film director it's about that and i you know i i just i like you know i'm a i'm a human being i just like to be i like to be honest and i you know i think in this industry there's a lot of people that believe their own hype and maybe it's just the way I, the way i grew up and you know um like you know none of my family are in the film industry like no, like i've i've just had to you know, I had to clean houses in order to borrow a camera from my mum's friend's friend in order to get access to a camera to make my first shorts. Like, <laughs> you know, we, uh, not to get the tiny violin out and say, where is me? But you know what? I work fucking hard, uh, <laughs> to, you know, to, to, to get to this point. And, uh, and, and the, the thing is, is that, um, I've got, I've lost my train of thought. Sorry. What was I saying? Um, well, you worked really hard to get to this point and you went, and worked on these houses and stuff. And then you were saying this, you were, you were talking to people about this specific point. What was it? <laughs> oh, uh, it's, yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's the, uh, sleep deprivation of finishing a film. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I said, look, I'll do the talk, but I'm not going to sit here and inflate my own ego and, oh, aren't I great? Oh, you know, cause they're like, oh, talk about when you work with Christopher Walken, talk about no, 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 name, drop, drop all these names. I'm like, yeah, but, I, I kind of want to talk about the struggle, yeah. you know, and because I talked about the struggle, I got so many messages from people just saying it was so nice to hear someone that, cause you, you put on a pedestal on these things and I hate the pedestal. I'm like, I'm just like you guys. Like I've had some breaks that I've worked really hard for, but also I'm, I'm still struggling to get to the point where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where that drive, ambition, passion, becomes like almost like a curse you know like that's great that gets you out the door that gets you you know determined to make things but also when you're not doing those things when then those as you say when those things when you're like okay i've got the skills like come on industry give me a shot that's where that that drive and ambition becomes a bit of a curse because you can hear you know your internal uh little drive brain saying Oh, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? Why, you know, and it's very hard to kind of stop the jealousy of like, why, why aren't I doing that? You know, why aren't I doing that? Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think, I think, um, uh, coming all the way back 55 blocks and round the corner and back to your original question. Um, the, uh, you know, this film was born out of that frustration of like, I'm going to write something that's fun. You know, I'm going to write something that's going to make me fall back in love with telling a cool story and i was kind of re see i've always been a star wars fan like 
since the very beginning. I watch it every year, multiple times. You know, I, I've, I've, you know, watched all the series and stuff like that. But I think when the Force Awakens came out, um, and it really did awaken the Force. Like it did, I think it did for a lot of people. But for me, I was like, holy, like, holy crap, these are good. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much on that. I'm, I'm loving the films. I, and I'll say this right now, and people will. Switch off if they hate me, but I thought The Last Jedi was an awesome film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, so, so it was kind of that. And also, I thought it'd be kind of fun to, you know, can you reboot? Uh, <laughs> in, in the day and age of reboots every five seconds, uh, can you reboot uh, two of like the most popular film franchises, you know, um, Indiana mm-hmm. Jones and Star Wars? Like, can you mash them up in a, not in a B-movie way? Can you... Um, you know, what would that story be? And I'd, I'd, I'd sort of always been obsessed with, you know, those blue words that start, you know, that sentence that starts every Star Wars fan, uh, Star Wars film saying, mm-hmm. um, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, mm-hmm. you know. And I've always, it's always made me wonder, you know, because that, that, that's a sentence that is so ingrained in popular culture that I feel that it's one of those things that no one, not nobody, but a lot of people don't, you read it, but you don't, uh, you, you don't analyze it, you know? So if you analyze it, that's kind of, you know, Lucas saying based on a true story, you know, mm. you go, Oh, okay. Well, if this did happen a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, what would that mean now? You mm. know, and that, and that's where it came from. And then, and then the rest was, uh, fun to write. And then, you know, and then I, as I was saying before, I fell in love with it. Uh, I was seeing, cause I love fan films, you know, I, um, uh, I watch pretty much most of them <laughs> that, uh-huh. that come on YouTube, good or bad. Uh, <laughs> I love the ambition. I love the sheer drive and determination of these filmmakers. Some people that have made nothing and they make a fan film and you can just see, uh, you know, that the, the kind of the fun they've had making this film and the ambition and the, and, you know, and it's no mean feat making a, you know, you joke, we said, oh, it's some geeks in the forest with a lightsaber fighting each other. But, you know, someone's meticulously rotoscoped those blades in, they've got the costumes, they've gone out and they've shot it and they've gone out and done it. You know, I think there's oh, yeah. how many people do you know that say they're filmmakers but don't make anything or say they're writing but haven't written anything, you know? So I commend that. Um, but uh, Oh, yeah, dude, uh, completely. And I just want to say that I wasn't cheapening that by saying that. It's just... When you no, when no, you no, definitely when, not. when you look at I think as a as a viewer today and when you look at the plethora of content that exists out there and there's so much of it and and there are so many people that are now curious about storytelling that fancy or they want to be a, a director or want to be a storyteller and how how accessible it is to actually get your hands on the tools to do this these days. Um, there are certain voices that stand out, you know what I mean? And it's fascinating yeah. when <clears throat> there've been a few, uh, fan films that I've seen. Um, like, uh, there was, uh, my buddy did the Ben, ben Temple Smith fan film years ago. There's a couple of them that are, that have a fucking solid voice, you know, and you mm. watch, you watch the thing and it isn't just. A learning piece, because as a young kid, I did that stuff where it was like, "How do you rotoscope in a lightsaber?" Or like, "How do you?" Yeah, me too. You know, and, and that's <laughs> that was one of my first films. <laughs> yeah, that's how you. Yeah. That's how you learn. That's those are the tr- those are the like the, the studenty kind of things that you do to sort of pick it up. But 
The thing that I liked about your piece, and I think that was the connection here, the thing I liked about your piece was that yours had a great voice, and it wasn't just the scale and scope of it, because the scale is pretty ridiculous. You're, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, shooting, you're shooting in a desert, uh, you have like multiple period vehicles, uh, lots of extras, really great blocking, uh, aerial, like I'm assuming drone aerial shots. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. But what I liked was that you were sort of really turning into that adventure that Spielberg does really well. And there's a lot of directors that try to do that and that don't do a good job. And I thought you did a great job with it. So, Oh, Mike, can I just, I'm just going to, when I'm feeling down, I'm just going to play this podcast back. Cause that's so, that's so, that's so <laughs> you don't know how much that, honestly, that, you know, as someone that, you know, worships the ground <laughs> Spielberg walks You on, and me both, brother. Um, yeah. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, you know, stick, stick a fork in me. I'm done. Like, you know, that's a, uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing to, to hear that you got that vibe from it. And, um, cause it's very, it's funny, like, uh, you know, bar being really fun with references and Easter eggs. And I think there's probably ugh, 50 Easter eggs in the film, Like, you know, there's so much fun in there to be had from all sorts of films, not just star Wars, Indiana Jones is back to future. There's Jurassic Park, there's Goonies. There's, there's all sorts of stuff in there to find. Yep. Um, but I feel that, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't actually try that hard. I, I, I wasn't really thinking, oh, how would Spielberg do this a lot? But because I think it's because I grew up on those movies and I've studied those movies. They are part of my DNA, you know? Yep. How, many, how many filmmakers is Spielberg responsible for creating? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, but if you, if you go back... Millions. Yeah, you know? but if you go back and you look at his work and then see that an interesting way to think about it is, is the language of cinema. Right. And so cinema has been around at this point for how many years is it? 200 years at this point. Um, and it's still, it's still pretty, it's in its infant stages still, you know, and you're talking about, uh, early films, uh, where it was like, you know, a wide shot and a close up. we cut these two together. What does that mean? And, or, or like uh, shots of a train, you know, riding towards a crowd and having everybody yes. scream in those screenings. And that's like, that's literally like, taking bits of the alphabet and starting to construct words, you know, and, and, and what, what a wide shot means narratively and what a wide shot means emotionally and what this means like that. So if you, you know, skip ahead to our references, which are Spielberg and, you know, Lucas or John Carpenter or Cronenberg or, you know, Stanley Kubrick. Zemeckis. Yes. Zemeckis, (laughs) Stanley Kubrick. These guys are all basing their language on the the bits and pieces of language that they loved from the guys that they grew up with. So you're talking like Howard, oh, yeah. Howard Hawks, and you go back through like yeah, Kurosawa. Spielberg, you know, you, yeah, definitely Kurosawa for um, George Lucas, and you know, yeah. and, uh, and obviously Star Wars in general. You know, it's like we're all we're all borrowing from each other. We're all uh, but I we're all developing. I think the trick is evolving. I think the trick here is. I think there's a big difference between uh, recreating and uh, imitating and learning the language and then using that language to tell a new story. And this is what I do. I have to send you some of my stuff. I'm I'm sure you haven't seen like 12 camera or any of the pieces that I do. 
No, I'd, I'd love uh, to. Please one do. of the compliments and uh, the same boat that you're in that I love to hear is that people will watch it and go, it feels like a Spielberg movie. It feels like a John Carpenter movie, but it's not. It's, it's your movie completely. Mm. How did you do that? And it's like, because I didn't sit there and go, I'm going to rip this shot off from this movie no. and put it in here. I just went, okay, so this shot that I love so much, why do I love it so much? What is the lens yes. that they're using? What is the blocking? What is the pacing? What is the music? What are these three, el- yeah. uh, four elements? And how do they make the, how do they make me feel awesome when the dude with the key shows up in E.T.? Like, why do I like yeah. that shot so much? And so then you start to yeah. study those language bits. So then when you're getting your script or a piece of content that you're putting together and you want to instill a certain sense of excitement or a certain sense of dread and you think back to those shots that made you feel that uh, mm. and you sit there and you go, well, maybe if I use this lens and I use a music cue like this and I use this and I use this. So then you're taking those words from that sentence and you're reconstructing a brand new paragraph based upon yeah. the language of cinema. And it's a weird way to describe it, but I think that's what makes... No, I think it's a, it's a really smart way of describing it. I'm going to use that. So I think it's a very smart way of describing it. No, Good. I think it's a really interesting way of, of way of thinking about it because, you know, I have, um, you know, taken those words, that, those, those language of cinema created by, you know, the, the sort of iconic images and popular culture of stars in Mary Jones throwing them up in the air, throwing them up in the air and then tried to piece them together in a way that talks to me and talks to us now and talks to the kind of films and style that I like to continue making, you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just the kind of films that I want to watch, you know, it's kind of, that that's my first approach when I read a script or when I think about an idea, it's like, do I want to watch this film? <laughs> you know, would I, yeah. would I, would I watch this film thinking, man, I wish I made that film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and with Star Wars Origins, it was like, well, yeah, if I, if I was, it was an alternate reality and Mike, you'd made this film, I'd be sat there going, oh my God, I wish I made that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, and it, it's, uh, and it's a fun thing to actually have it, made now it's kind of kind of strange but yeah i mean i think it's um uh i i think i have a spielberg sensibility because i i really don't like to cut unless you unless unless you have to you know when i edit i try and edit on a as big a screen as possible you yep. feel that you know you when you edit for your phone you know i know this from commercials maybe it's like the the antithesis of commercials is like you know, I've got certain shots in this film that last 45, 50 seconds, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, that, that's, that's overrunning a commercial. You never get that luxury. So maybe it's a, it's a <laughs> protest to that, but, um, but I love the drama of cinema. I love the kind of wanna, and I, I, that's one of the things I love about Spielberg is the, uh, he's the master, you know, the way you can, the way he constructs these masters, yeah. you know, I get excited. I'm like, he's not cut. Okay. What's the dolly doing? Oh my God. It's so simple, but it's genius. You know, um, and, uh, and if, if, you know, if you haven't gone and had a look at this, I, I'm, I think there's a few things on Vimeo, some like, uh, you know, deconstructing his blocking and these kind of, there's a yes. fun one that people have done like a floor plan, you know, in shop designer and like, and animated it as the camera moves. And it's so simple, but so genius, you know, at the same time. Um, he's the and man. You, and you sort of he's... feel that like you get, he is the man. 
unfortunately, yeah, it's just, and it, it's, uh, it, it's just, he's just the man. I'm sorry. He's just, he's just the man. Uh, <laughs> but and, uh, <laughs> he does, I don't, but I don't know what else to say. <laughs> he, he knows how to, he knows how to tell a great story with lenses and movement and blocking. And, and I think mm. it was, I think it was Kubrick that was giving him, was saying that he was, but no, it was Hitchcock that was saying that he was the new, the new change in cinema because a lot of that prior to Spielberg, a lot of cinema was like very sort of static, uh, one camera placement. Maybe there was well, like a play. Yeah. Very much like a tell, like a television play. Yeah, for sure. And so, and it's partly obviously as, as cameras have evolved and technology has evolved, it allows to do, uh, kind of more interesting things with the camera. You know, if you, if you think about Hitchcock rope, you know, and and yeah. that, doing it in 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 inverted commas one shot, you know, with some breaks. If you see some behind the scenes of that, the camera was so big they had to literally like pull walls away to kind of move through doorways to kind of continue the shot. That was all really groundbreaking stuff. Ropes. If if you're not seen Rope, it's it's, it's an amazing. amazing film. It's an amazing um, movie. And uh, you know, and, and I love the, I love that. I love I love that kind of the wanna, as it were. And also what I like to do, because in commercials, I've, you know, been lucky to get to play with toys, you know, so, uh, you know, I can get my, you know, 50 foot technocrane on a Panagator four by four based up, up the side of a hill, you know, (laughs) not all the time, (laughs) but you know, I've had, I've been able to play with those sorts of toys. So I can kind of know what works and doesn't work, but I feel that when, uh, when the gimmick gets in the way of the story, yeah. that's when it's worse. So I've got, so f- and here's a, here's, here's a tip for you, uh, dear listener. So drones, right. They're so small and amazing and high quality that you can fly them through a window. You could fly them through, you know, a door frame. You can do, do whatever you want. See some crazy stuff, mm-hmm. uh, piloting drones, but just cause you can do it doesn't mean you should, you know? <laughs> and so, when I, when, I, when I shoot drones, I always think, right, how, could a helicopter do this? And if it can't, then I change the shot. Because for me, there's, again, that DNA of cinema is like, we're very used to, when yeah. we saw aerial stuff and photography, like what a helicopter could do. And not that uh, you know, an audience might be able to articulate what that is, but there's a feeling to it. Yep. So, uh, you know, so I always, and, and the drone operators that I used on this, and I've used on a few other things, wonderful guys, uh, Neil and Odin, my drone pro, um, they get that, they get that, um, uh, that feeling of like, how do we best tell the story with a shot instead of what's the coolest thing we could do, you know? And sometimes I kind of can't resist rolling my eyes when I see a shot that seems gimmicky for no reason, because it takes me out of the story. It takes me out of the film and our job is to get you in the story and keep you there and take you on this journey and, and, and tell this story to you. And especially now with, you know, one of my fears with Origins is, is the YouTube audience. And, you know, the, the, the finger is always on the mouse. You know, it's, it's there. Yeah, like yeah. the power to, to stop watching. It's almost a fight, you know. It's almost a, um, it, it's kind of a, a fight with the, with the viewer to make them keep watching because there's so much to watch. Um, but then how do you make as almost classically sort of classically styled film, um, 
for today's YouTube audience, because ultimately that's who I'm making it for, yeah. who are going to keep watching. Yeah. And there's a lot in the film um, that isn't in the trailer at all. And there's whole threads of the film that you're always rewarded the longer you watch it, you know, because there's, there's some huge, huge, and don't just skip to the end now, people. Uh, there's some huge, huge stuff at the end of the film that I feel like you've earned. You know, it's like, if you've stuck with me <laughs> for, uh, for, you know, if I've kept your attention span, then I'm going to reward you with something special, you know, sure. and that's why the film builds and builds and builds in scale. Um, and that was kind of by design, really. And, uh, yeah, and people that click off after six minutes because they've heard some dialogue and, you know, and they're like, oh, where's, where, where's the car chase? Where are the guns? You know, um, you, need to, you need to stick with it because it's worth it. <laughs> so, you know the deal. Uh, it is about that time to get into my sponsor reads. But before I do, I just want to say thank you for sticking through the show on this one. Uh, Phil uh, is on the other side of the ocean. So he's over in the UK. I'm here in Los Angeles. And so we're trying to do the recording of this over the internet. And every once in a while, he drops out. So uh, I'm going to try to edit this seamlessly. And if I do my job correctly, you're going to listen to the segment and go, what are you fucking talking about? Well, the truth is, is I had to cut the fuck out of the show because to make the dropouts work. So I appreciate you sticking through. Um, and do me a favor, because I work so hard to make this episode sound good, click through on some of my sponsors, please. Just click the links below. If you click through, the sponsors go, holy shit, they're listening to the reads. Mike, I'd like to continue sponsoring the show. Yes, thank you. It's easier for me to say that to them when they can see that you guys are clicking the links. So just click the links, please. Click them below. All right, let's start with our boys, the guys, the dudes have been here with us since the very beginning, before the beginning, uh, Puget Systems. If you're a young filmmaker, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a music producer, if you're a video game nut, and your old computer is just not fast enough, if your playback is stuttering, uh, if you're getting really fucking annoyed with not having enough speed on your hard drives, it's time to buy a new computer, right? And so what do you do? Most of the population just does the lazy move and they go apple.com and they go there and they're like, oh my God, this is going to cost a small fortune. Can I put it on a payment plan? Oh, fantastic. I'm going to pay for this for the rest of my fucking life. Or there's the smart ones that go, guess what? We now live in a time period where you don't have to have a very specific machine to be professional. You can have a PC and still be a professional. You can have a PC and be an amazing editor. I cut all my movies on a Puget PC and it doesn't make a difference these days because we're all using Adobe products. Adobe products work on both machines. And I'm not sponsored by those guys, aka I should be. Um, but buy yourself a PC. Why? They're cheaper, they're upgradable, um, and they're faster. Straight up. And if you go to PugetSystems.com, you can purchase a PC based upon the software that you use or that you're going to use. Make it very simple to select and they'll suggest a baseline system which you then can customize. And here is the best part about these guys. They're real people. They're not just some fucking bot online. So you can write to them and say, hey, this is what I do. I like to develop motorcycle parts and I need to run CAD on this machine and it's very specific and I need to do this. And they go, wow, that's really cool because they give a shit about the creators. They go, wow, that's really cool. 
here's an idea and here's how we think you can work with your budget and build a really great system. I'm serious. They're real people. They do really great stuff. I just sent a bunch of people over to them this week. <coughs> Friends of mine that are buying new systems or building new systems that have drank the Kool-Aid. They understand that uh, Puget Systems is the way to go. PCs are the new way to go. You'll be happy with it. It's all good. And if you're worried about the operating systems, Windows and Mac, the same fucking thing. It's folder systems. You double click on the folder, you open your program, and then you're in your program. You're good to go. Okay, so check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com. Next up, uh, the sponsors for season two. These guys are fantastic, and they've been with us for all of season two right now, and I'm very excited that they're with the show. It's Quasar Science. One of the coolest advancements in the movie industry over the past five to seven years has been lighting. I know a lot of you think like, wow, the cameras are really cool. It's lighting. Lighting technology is amazing. LED lighting technology has changed the look of everything you see. You want to know why TV series look really cool lighting-wise? LED lights. And straight up, leaders of the pack, Quasar Science. Sorry, <coughs> getting over a cold. <coughs> um, the cool thing about LED lights is that they run cool, meaning that they don't get hot on set, so you can actually hold them and touch them and your sets don't become 110 degrees because you got a ton of lights on them going there. Uh, they don't draw a lot of power, so you don't have to worry about how many lights you put on a circuit at this point. A lot of these are battery powered. Um, they're also bi-colored, so you can go from true tungsten to true daylight, and now they're rainbow colored, so you can dial in any color in the rainbow, any of those swatch, those gel swatch colors that you want. Super cool, and Quasar makes amazing LED tubes. They make these really cool tubes. There's like one foot, two foot, four foot tubes. Uh, I've got a few of those. They have a very small footprint, so if you're a run and gun a cinematographer or just like a video producer and you drive around in a fucking hatchback and you don't have room to put those giant fucking road cases in these are just tiny tubes you can fit them in between your back seat and your front seat they fit right there perfect right go check them out quasarscience.com all right Whew. next up uh good buddies over at rule boston camera uh i love these guys i still do reads for them even though i'm on the west coast they are my oldest relationship with a vendor. I've been working with those guys for over 18 years. Uh, if you're a filmmaker, a DP, a photographer, and you're finding it very difficult to keep up with all the latest and greatest trends, I don't fucking blame you because every year it changes. So you go out, you buy that brand new camera, you sink 35, 45, 65 grand on that camera, uh, you put it on a payment plan, and then a year goes by and the producers are like, we want the new camera. And you can't even get that camera on set. Even worse, you're forced to have to try to sell your camera on all these projects, even when it's not the right camera for that job, because you're indebted to it, right? Why do that? Here's what I suggest. Go form a solid, firm relationship with your local rental house. These guys are in the business of stocking up on all that latest and greatest gear, understanding how it works, and educating to their customers how that stuff works so you can be the superhero for the producers that you work for. You know what I'm saying? So at that point, you can walk on set and say, I can get access to the latest and greatest gear. I know how to use this stuff. 
What camera did they use to shoot Mad Max uh, Fury Road? This camera. What lenses did they use? These lenses. And I went down to Rural Boston Camera in Boston on the East Coast, and they taught me how to use all this stuff, which is super cool. You're ahead of the curve, right? You're an asset. You can charge good money. That's what's great about it. And they're reliable. That's the, the other thing, is that there's a lot of rental companies over the internet. They suit their purposes for specific things, but what happens if shit doesn't work for you? You're on a shoot and the lens gets stuck to the body or the camera won't boot up, right? This is why it's important to form a relationship with your local rental house because you can call someone like Rule Up and they'll literally talk you through it on the phone and if it doesn't work, they will ship someone out with a replacement. Hell, I've had them shipping someone out with a replacement while talking through it on the phone with me, right? Good shit. Check it out. <coughs> Rule.com. Jesus Christ. (coughs) Man, it's cold. Rule.com. All right. And last but not least, a great company that actually sends me copy to read. And it's dark in here. Let me see if I can do this. All right. Musicbed.com. So if you're like me and you're someone that is a producer or director and you're constantly having to edit stuff, So whether it's a commercial, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's a short film, and music is an important element in that piece, nothing is worse than trying to cut something without music. So what do you do? You find temp tracks, you go look for stuff, you lay that in, and you fall in love with that temp track cut, correct? Then the thing that sucks about it is that you then have to find a replacement for that, or you're trying to get a composer to recreate that stuff. Skip past all that stuff. In the, in the ultimate world, you have a great relationship with a solid composer, like someone that you work with constantly. That's a rarity with a lot of folks. It takes time to do so. So when you're starting, why not form a relationship with someone like Musicbed? Because Musicbed isn't just another stock music website. They're kind of like a rep for really good artists and composers. Like they have really great talent on their website. And stuff that doesn't sound like someone half-assed wrote it and couldn't sell it in the real world, so they threw it on a stock site. And you know what I'm fucking talking about. When you're going through that stock shit, and you're just like, this just sounds cheap. Ugh. Musicbed.com. Check them out. And let me actually read. That was, that was me improving Musicbed. <clears throat> so it sucks to get bogged down in the edit process while you try to track down a soundtrack for your film, for your commercial, for whatever it is. I've been there, and so has the team at Musicbed. In fact... The entire reason why they built their platform. This is the entire reason why they built their platform. They've made it easier than ever for you to find the song that you're looking for with intuitive and easy to use browse and search. Amazing, <clears throat> they have amazing indie artists and bands and incredible composers like Ryan Talbert and Chad Larson. I think I'm pronouncing those names right. I've always done it that way and they haven't corrected me. Their roster is growing every day with tens of thousands of songs ranging from the cinematic to electronic to indie rock and hip hop. And, and with either their single song licenses or subscriptions that give you unlimited downloads. Unlimited downloads is a good thing when you're trying to figure it out. There's something for every type of filmmaker. To create your free account and learn more, go to musicbed.com. Plus, as an In Love With The Process listener, they're giving you one month of a subscription for free or 20% off a single song license. Just enter the promo code, THE PROCESS, all one word, the process when you check out go to musicbed.com to do it click the link below tell them that you listen to this say mike sent me by entering the process in your code that's what you get 
you get something cool. And I know when you listen to podcasts, they're like, yeah, they give deals out to all podcasts. Guys, I don't look for some like, there isn't like some podcasting advertising place that I went to and they're like, here's a bunch of different companies. I handpick these companies. I go through the process of hunting them down. I, I cold write them emails and say, my listeners would like to hear you on my fucking show. So I do a lot of work to get these. So please click through, check them out. And I guarantee that you're gonna like it. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening to The Reads. Let's get back to our conversation with Phil. funny how this show has shifted you it's it's it all, I, I, i'm it, so sorry on tangents but what i love about your show is that uh it, it, it can do this yeah you know it's yeah. kind of it's very conversational and i feel like i'm always in the room with the people you're talking to yeah so um well this is good so yeah this is good so so for me it's fascinating because we're talking about language again so let's get back into the language aspect of this and I think that's what's so interesting because there's so many people involved with filmmaking now, right? So you have, and now that I'm out here in Los Angeles and I'm meeting a lot of different folks and a lot of really talented people and you're meeting the people that are the best in the business that are out here and then you're also meeting people that are in this business for not necessarily the same reason that you or I might be in this business. Like if we're in this business to learn about the language of cinema and in this business to learn how to tell stories and how to like subtly shift emotion or subtly affect uh, like an outlook uh, on an audience, that's one thing. And to actually learn that shit, to actually go through the process of figuring that stuff out takes a lot of goddamn effort. Like it takes a lot oh, yeah. of fucking effort to figure out why do I feel, why do I like this scene? Or why is this character uh, my favorite character even as an adult? What is it that did, because somebody went through the meticulous effort of creating that emotion that I have now co-opted to be my own emotion with this. And they've done, yeah. they've done it so subtly that they make it, they make you feel like you've figured it out. Where they've they've <laughs> actually set it up so that you're sitting there going, I figured this thing out. I've made this thing amazing. And they're like, Yeah, yeah, you did, because they're being humble about it. But the truth of the matter is, they've done it to you and they've set this yeah. thing up. So learning those techniques is such a time and laborious fucking thing. And if you love it like I do and like you do, then there's nothing wrong with that. But then what you're dealing with are people that are also in the industry who don't have that bandwidth. So you're dealing with folks that have the same sort of clicking youtube kind of bandwidth thing that happens. And this, this is me going on a real tangent. A lot of it, I think, comes from the 80s with MTV and yeah. with how music videos sort of took the language of cinema and they had to abbreviate it because it was being crammed into uh, basically like little mini shorts that were advertising pieces for a band. So how do you take these ideas and cram them into it? And then you're dealing, this is a longer conversation, but then you're dealing with musicians that are like, I saw this fucking movie. Can we just do it and put me in it? You know, and then make it work for the song <laughs> yeah. and work for the beat and work for that stuff. So then you have a whole generation that's my generation that grew up I want my MTV, I'm watching MTV, I'm doing that stuff. And I fell in love with music videos in that sort of experimental, fast-paced, cutty thing. And as a young filmmaker, I was like, this is the shit. Like, this is, 
this is the next step in evolution from Spielberg and from all these guys is this. It's this high speed, high fast cut. Like, isn't this great? Handheld camera shake. Boom, 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 boom. And so then I went through that for a short for a short period of time. I always reference it as like my small amount of time that I liked screaming metal music. <laughs> Where like, <laughs> like you listen to metal music when you're young and you're like, fuck, this is great. And it's intense. And fuck yeah, I got adrenaline. I got all this stuff. But now I can't listen to it at all. Like I, I've come out of the back end of it. And other than the greats, I can't go back and listen to it because it doesn't trigger me that same way. It just feels very hollow and empty. And a lot of that stuff that came from that MTV, and I'm being very controversial by saying this, but came from that MTV period. Sure, there's been stuff that we've learned about editing and how the audience can react to fast cutting, but uh, it also sort of was a step back in the language of cinema. And it really, I, I really feel like it then went on to influence the YouTubing generation, went on to influence the current generation right now um, on like, how do I get it fast? How do I digest it quick? And how do I feel something immediately? And mm. th- there's no substance to it. It's like going to get a fucking cheeseburger from McDonald's because you just want to, or going to order Chinese food. You know, whenever you go get Chinese yeah. food, you're always hungry after you eat it. And yeah, 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 yeah. It's the same thing. And so now we're at this point where it's interesting. You have the divide. You have YouTube, and then you have like uh, Netflix, which is drawing mm. stuff out for 12, 14 hours plus. So it's this weird mix of of where the language goes next. And I, I'm ranting and raving, but I think ultimately- it No, comes- no, no, it's, it's, all, it's all fascinating because, you know, it's our job as storytellers to, you know, take something that is basically ink on a page and then create, give it a vision and, and deliver it to our audience, you know? Right, um, right. And uh, if that audience is constantly changing what they want, what they need, then we sort of need to be on top of that, you know? And, uh, and it's, um, it's, it's it, there's, there's, you know, there's a whole- there's a whole seven part um, series to the past 10 minutes of our conversation. <laughs> but um, I think with Netflix is fascinating because, you know, it, it's almost a contradiction in terms because there's so much content. There's so much to watch um, that you're almost, you know, a sport for choice. It's like, well, what do you start to watch? And then you end up kind of dipping into something for 10 minutes and thinking, Oh, is this for me? But then, you know, then the kind of zeitgeist or oh, you've, the culture says, no, 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 stick with it for four episodes and then you'll be hooked, you know? Um, and then it, it's true. It happens. You know, I remember the first episode of what's like succession, for example, is a bit like, yeah, I mean, it, I love the cast and I, you know, but like, do I want to spend this time with them? And now I'm like, give me more, like hardline that into my veins, you know, same with breaking bad, same with the crown, same with all these shows that, um, I am just in, you know, I don't care how long they are. I don't care. Um, uh, you know, and, and when was the last time you felt that in cinema? You know, for me, obviously star Wars, like, you know, I booked my, uh, triple bill ticket, uh, at midnight screening the, the minute that they, um, that they came out and obviously Marvel and, and the, you know, the whole series infinity war and stuff, you know, that's kind of cinema. Um, but, but then that, whether but, we dive into, you know, the whole, uh, controversy recently about, um, 
what Francis Ford Coppola and people said about Marvel not being cinema. But um, sure. it's, uh, it, it, it's changed our audience's view. Because, you, know, you know, like the generation below me, like a few years younger than me, um, they didn't know what it was like to have, you know, a few channels on your television set. Like, I, I, you know, this whole generation of people that have probably never watched live TV, like it's all on demand, it's all on a phone, it's all, you know, it's all delivered in that way. So we sort of have a responsibility to understand that instead of getting lost, you know, uh, getting, uh, getting fall, you know, us falling behind what audiences need. Um, well, sure, what sure. Audiences would like. Sure. I, I, and I, I think it's a delicate balance because I think audiences... I think audiences don't know what they want until they see what they like. Yes. I think I think at the end That's of the day, true. I don't think audiences know what they want. I think that they mm. will see something and they go, I like this. I don't know why I like this, but I fucking like it. And that's why I like it. And half the time you sort of sit there and you go, all right, so w- what are the triggers for this? Why? Why is it that they like, why is it that they're fucking pumped about Ant-Man and they're not pumped about mm. Blade Runner 2049? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What is it? Is it the advertising for it? Sure, there's a familiar, it's a familiar thing in theory because they know the comic books, but who the fuck knew who Ant-Man was if you weren't a comic book person? And being a comic book kid, I never read Ant-Man. I didn't give a shit about Ant-Man. You know what I mean? So then then you're, you're looking at it going, is it Paul Rudd? Which it could be. It could be the casting Mm. of Paul Rudd. But more importantly, it's most likely the advertising that that they have spent an, like an insane amount of manipulation and money on to make it exciting for you. And the fact that it is connected into this giant universe. Because before they started doing this big universal crossover, Easter eggy, end of the fucking credit sequence stuff, you had like the first you know Captain America movie and even the first Iron Man movie where you're like, oh cool, it was a cool movie, but... People weren't losing their shit over it. It wasn't until yeah, yeah. it wasn't until uh, Feggy came out and was like, uh, "They're all going to mean something. Like all these movies are going to yeah. connect, and they're all going to be coming." And so then that becomes the reason why people it's are so clever out. because you, yeah, you have to because it's, it's a it's a huge. It's like the world's most expensive soap. You know, you can't miss exactly. an episode. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, because you're lost. And, um, and it's so the old again it's, the drug the drug you need to stay you know, to keep people captured and uh, spending their dollars at the cinema, dude. It's and it's the old formula from believe it or not Marvel. It's the old comic book formula where they would do they would have a bunch of strong titles. So you'd have like X Men, pretty much in the nineties it was X Men. So you'd have this strong title and a bunch of weak other issues, and they would go, well, we need to do a crossover event. So they would do a giant superhero crossover event with a story arc that forced you to have to buy the issues from those weaker titles. And I remember being yeah. a kid going like, Ugh, I got to go pick up this bullshit book. The art sucks and this sucks, but I need to know what happens. So you go and you grab it <laughs> and it's, yeah. fu- it's fucking genius. And so then if you're yeah. looking at it like that, and this sort of plays into everything that we're talking about on the show with fan films and everything else. If if you look at it like that, you can't, it isn't just enough to tell a good story right now. It isn't enough to be like, hey, I have a great perspective on life and I'm going to show you my perspective on life. That used to be enough. 
But these days, it's more about packaging. It's more about um, creating an experience in a sea of entertainment. Like this, yeah. it's, it's I mean, like we're, we're over. It's an overfull yeah. tub of entertainment right now. And so, how do yeah. you make it special? Like, how do you make your thing interesting for people? You know what I mean? It's like the, you know, the, the trailer for the trailer for the trailer release. You know, it, it's, uh, it's almost comical when you think about it, but we, we lap it up. And also how important the trailer is in terms of, you know, look at the, the kind of whole Sonic the Hedgehog thing that happened and, and them going back and changing it because fans, the power of fandom, yeah. uh, I'll, try, I'll try and keep this on topic. Uh, <laughs> um, the power of fandom, you know, the internet spoke and said, no, 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 no. Um, and then they changed it, you know, and, um, uh, so, it, and I think it's almost like, um, you know, JJ Abrams making force awakens is a huge star Wars fan. It's like the people now in control and making these films yeah. are fans. They're just really expensive fan films, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and the fans, it's almost it's interesting when the fans can then go and make their own versions of things to try and fill in the bits of story that they think are missing or, um, you know, like there was a, a cool fan film someone did very recently um, that was just filling in a bit of backstory with Kylo Ren and, and, uh, and Luke from, you know, when he was before Last Jedi. And mm-hmm. it sort of recreated this with a kind of game engine, but it was a way of him wanting to fill in the uh, fill in the gaps for something that hadn't been fulfilled, you know? And because it's so accessible and because we have YouTube and a direct line to people and fan bases and audiences, you can do that. You can go and make something. But, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's um, if I'm even maybe forcing a conclusion but um, or thinking about <laughs> everything that's just been said, but it's like, how as a filmmaker do you raise your hand up and go, hi, yeah. I'm here, Let, you know, I can, here's my film, uh, above the noise, you know, and some of it's very good noise and some of it's not so good noise, but there, there's a lot of noise. And also, as you said, it's not enough to just tell a good story. So how do you make the film, you know, raise an eyebrow? Uh, yeah. How do you make people want to watch that film? Um, Without you know, a huge marketing budget of Marvel, um, you know, and, and do that as a, from a fan film perspective, um, I almost feel like it is the. I, I was just sort of, I was kind of saying, um, like, oh, don't fall into gimmicks, but maybe it is. <laughs> maybe maybe there is something in that. What is the what is the thing that you read or see? Um, what is it in a trailer that makes a good trailer? Like, is there, is it a cool concept? You know, you were telling me before, like, is it Paul Rudd in Ant-Man? Is it like, for me, it was like, oh, it's a really interesting perspective on the world that this really microscopic fantasy land that we don't see. That's really interesting. And also mm-hmm. it's funny, you know? Um, right. So that for me is what captured me for that kind of concept. So, um, so maybe that's what we're also looking for. It's kind of, Selling oh, people on a concept or, or a, you know. But this yeah. is great. We're going down a good hole here. And let's continue, if you don't mind. It's, it's because <laughs> we're, we're really sort of talking about what, what cinema has become over the past, I don't know, I'd say eight years or four years or f- within the four to yeah. eight year range. So you've gone from 
you, you, everybody, including Hollywood, is now at that point where, you, like you said, they're raising their hand going, please look at me, please look at me. And so you're seeing them test all these different techniques to do so. Like there was a period of time where you put Arnold Schwarzenegger in the fucking trailer and everybody goes. Everybody's like, fuck, it's Arnold. Arnold's the shit. He's the man. I'm going to go see this shit. Yeah. And then yeah. there hit a period of time where he had trouble. So then Arnold had to get uh, Stallone, Bruce Willis, like all of the fucking dudes in the trailer. And then everybody's like, oh my <laughs> God, I can't believe that all these dudes are in that trailer. And then that has been expended, as they say. So then that is now yes. uh, something that's been used up. And so then Marvel was also playing with that stuff where they go, okay, look, if the Expendables does it, and they could do that that way. Then what if we do really great actors and we start to load these this entire universe with big name fucking actors? And then part of the whole thing, because we're so hooked into how movies are made, we're just like, oh my God, this is the most expensive fucking thing ever. So now I need to go see mm. why they're going to yeah, blow all this money. Yeah, you need to see it. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, I need to go yeah. see the why they're going to blow all this money on that, which is fascinating. Mm. And then if you want to go even deeper into it, there are like, there's a whole other way of getting people interested now. And that's with social issues. And so they'll make films or they'll advertise films specifically to get a social stirring happen or to get a Twitter battle happening. And so then you have stuff mm -hmm. like the Ghostbusters remake with, uh, with the all-woman cast. Like yeah. half of that bullshit that was going around with that and half of that, that argument and that fight that was happening was created by Sony was created by them internally that got that battle happening and they were playing with that whole and that comes from the ad world they're playing with that uh, attention's attention good or bad people are still going to go and watch this fucking movie and people are still going to go do that stuff and so it's it's fascinating now as as a storyteller that is basically I'm out here pitching and trying to get stuff made out here in Hollywood and that is at the forefront so now they're giving me a list of cast people to choose from on a larger budget that are like, are they worth, what is their worth? And the worth isn't directly determined by how good they are as an actor. The worth isn't directly determined by what fucking movie they were in necessarily, if it was a good movie or not, or whether it won any awards. It's now being broken down into how many views do they get when they do yeah. the press circuit on YouTube? How many and followers do they have? It's, all uh, that stuff. It, it, and it, what are their uh, social kind of beliefs? When you, yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. And, and, also, and I think this know, is... Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was just saying is like, uh, you know, it's not just the filmmaking perspective. It's like, you know, actors these days, um, uh, you know, I... Uh, there was a casting call that, that went around a while ago because they were actively asking whether you had to have a certain amount of Twitter followers in order to audition. I'm thinking, what is this <laughs> fucked up black mirror kind of world that's happening where like it's your popularity has to you know, exist on a number that you could basically buy if you really wanted to, you know, is it worth anything? Like if you buy it, does that make you better? You just talking to the void, you know? Um, so it's everything, isn't it? It's that whole, uh, it, it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very depressing side of the industry, I think, by picking people. Like I, I had a very good friend of mine, um, uh, Jarrett Lee Conaway, who made a cool film, uh, and, uh, and they wanted just to cast influencers. Um, and he's like, well, I sort of do have to audition them as well. I'm like, yeah, but they have to be these people. 
It's like, yeah. well, okay. Uh, it's like, well, that's how we're going to sell it. That's our marketing. Like, you know, we're not going to make the film unless you get this guy that's got 5 million uh, people on Instagram. This person's got this, you know, and yeah. it's, um, it's the, it's the, it's almost the marketing machine becoming more important than the filmmaking machine. Whereas I think maybe we should work hand in hand and, and it's a dance. And I'm hoping well, it, it, 15 it, it, years uh, of commercial experience can help me do that because I, all I do is dance <laughs> with clients, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, but I, I think it's a weird, I don't know, man. I, I think that, and I, I'm going to bring this back to the fan film stuff again. So let me bring it back to what we're talking about on the show. So when, when I did the Punisher thing and, um, I basically released a teaser. So I did a poster and a teaser and I dropped those out there because I had done enough work for the ad world and I had done enough work for music video world where that was part of the release strategy. You'd start to lay things out early yeah. to get people excited about it that, that would actually go through and click the fucking link. And that was the only way to do that. And I thought that that was the most efficient way to get eyes on it because ultimately... That's what you're doing it for. You're, you're, you're trying to get people to tune in to go, I really like the way he tells this fucking story. And that's, that's yeah. what it comes down to. So uh, I had done that. I released that stuff. Um, and then the poster and the trailer caught fire. And so like CBR and all these different places were posting about it. And there were articles written where it's like better than anything Marvel's ever done, which yeah. is nerve wracking because you start to see that. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to yeah, fucking finish like, oh, it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah like, I'm like not trying to that, stir the, I'm not, I'm not trying to poke the beast. I'm trying to, you know, caress and cuddle the beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then you go through this, you go through this process and then it ultimately ended up being that the, the thing couldn't be shown, which was such a, a, a sin for me because it was like, fuck, I had spent all this time and I convinced all these people and these actors and all these folks that had done this stuff. And I've told this before on the show, but I, I then had a conversation with our lawyer. I talked to the lawyer and I'm like, well, fuck them. Let's just put it out. You know, I don't own anything. I don't have anything. You know, wh wh what am I going to lose? What's the big deal? And he was like, well, no, what they'll do. And he had the foresight to understand that, that I'd be fighting like the biggest, the biggest yeah. giant ever. He's like, what they'll do is they'll come after you later. So he's like, so if you, uh, they won't, they don't give a shit about you now because you don't own anything. But if you do something later nope. on, they'll come and after they you. So We've like if you start wrong. to make money, that could be a potential. And so he's like, so consider it seriously whether or not you want to put that out. And I was just so butthurt. I'm like, oh man, God damn it. And then um, he was like, but what you can do is you can write an article and you could talk about everything that you did to make it. And you can talk about how it wasn't put out and you can do that whole thing. And so out of just sort of a uh, cathartic thing and a, a payback to the people that had worked on it, I wrote a pretty big article and I put that out there. That was actually more successful than the short itself ever would be. And actually writing that article and doing that and not giving my stuff away for free and not just putting it out on the internet really changed how the audience reacted to it. So I weekly still have people writing to me going, please, will you release it, please? And we're talking, this is like, what, six years ago? So weekly people still write about that stuff. And then that changed the way I release my shorts now. So like if I'm releasing 12K or any of these other things, I don't just drop it online. You have to write to me. You have to ask me to see it. You have to interact with Hello? me. You have to go through this process. Now there's two sides of that argument where people are like, well, isn't it better to get more numbers on it 
than it is for anything else. But my whole other angle of that is more than 60 or 70% of those fucking numbers on a play on a YouTube is someone starting it and shutting it off and not giving a fuck about it. And so I'd rather have a quarter, a 10th, a 15th of that number be people that not only watched the goddamn thing, but then wrote about it, gave a solid review and talk about it and feel special that they've seen it. And I think my point here is that I started doing a film fan film because I thought that that was the way to get the attention. But I learned through doing a fan film and being uh, held back from being able to release it that I need to actually focus hard on how I present my films as hard as I do on how I create my films. And my question to you is, how's the response been so far with your trailer? How's the response been from people with your film at this point? Well, I mean, the response has been amazing. And actually, um, I didn't really expect to get the sort of views that we've had and and the, you, you hope, you know, you hope to capture something. You hope to um get people talking about it but you know i'm not before this project i i didn't have a youtube channel you know i didn't i didn't have any <laughs> didn't really have any subscribers i didn't have you know this is all um this is all you know me sounding really old now uh <laughs> I mean, i'm 34 right <laughs> but, but like i don't have my million subscribers on youtube you know and um so i i was coming from like nothing from no follower obviously Twitter and Instagram and stuff, but in terms of YouTube, it kind of wasn't there. So to kind of capture something and get people talking about it as they did, and then for that to transfer into stuff like like slash film did, you know, that I read, you know, did a um, uh, you know did a, a whole article about the trailer. This was a yeah, you know, is this a fan film trailer and slash film are doing yeah. a cool article about it? I was a proper properly written article that some yeah that, that actually a proper journalist had written it wasn't just oh here's a trailer check it out you know it was a really interesting perspective on it um and that kind of floored me i thought oh wow wow okay we've captured something and yeah yeah i'm a fan okay so i've made this for me as like the as the ultimate fan you know and uh making this film and so what's been wonderful is the theories uh, and the engagement people had in the messages and also websites. And I mean, someone wrote an amazing blog. I don't know how long it took them. And they dissected the trailer and to figure out, you know, why this is called Star's Origins and what it means and, and what the trailer, what the plot of the film could be. I mean, the guy's wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, but it was amazing <laughs> to read. You know, I had some amazing ideas in it. And I was like, oh, my God someone's taken the time to watch my trailer and it's captured something in them. You know, we're talking about that attention thing. Like I, that trailer has done something to make people want to engage. And I think a lot of it is firstly, you know, it is a fan film that doesn't look like a fan film. You know, we talk about, of course, you know, yes. it looks like a movie. Um, I, you know, I showed it to my manager, um, you know, when I showed him the cut, uh, the offline, you know, no effects, no, like no grade, like, you know, the, the kind of your dirty laundry, the thing that you don't really like people seeing. And uh, he was like, <laughs> holy shit, this is a studio movie. How the, how the, how the fuck have you done this? You know, he's like, how have you made this thing? 
And it just made me smile because that ex was exactly my aim is to make something of that quality because then you stand out. You know, my hand is waving. It's like, hello, please watch my film. You'll enjoy it. Um, and, um, uh, and, you know, the comments obviously been great and the engagement been great. But, you know, who knows? Like, I, the, the film could launch and, you know, it could get a few thousand views. It could get 15 million views. Like, it, I'm, at, I'm at the mercy of... of fans capturing it you know you you there's there's no way you can predict how things are going to catch fire or when they do or whether it'll happen straight away or whether it'll happen and never happen at all you know that's kind of the excitement and also the fear you know having spent yeah, all this yeah. money I, i've made it for an audience i remember when i was cutting it um and i was getting to the point where you'd kind of watch scenes and I, uh, you know, you'd look over your shoulder and you go, Oh yeah, there's no one there to react to this. Uh, <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, the first time I watched it, I showed it to, you know, a test audience. Uh, and it, and it was fucking rough. It was really rough, you know, but it was yeah. fun and they enjoyed it. And, and it was a fun movie to watch. And that's exactly what I was going for. It was like something you could, crunch some popcorn, laugh at, cry at, be moved by, surprised by, all in 20 minutes, you know? And um, it's, uh, and hopefully it takes you on that journey um, because, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but like short films for me have to exist in their own right. Like short films that are a punchline to a joke or short films that are sort of a scene from a feature, I feel like I wasted mm -hmm. my time, you know? And, and mm -hmm. when... When, you know, attention spans are so short and small, I feel a little bit cheated that, like, I've invested yeah. in watching something. I'm like, right, this looks cool. I want to watch this. I'm, I'm with the characters. I want to go somewhere. And then you're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's, I, I have no resolution. And that's not to say everything needs to be tied up in a neat bow. I just feel that there's a real skill in giving the audience what they wanted or what they maybe didn't know they wanted and then leave them wanting a little bit more. I mean, I think it's a, yeah. it's a fine balance, but I like it when films do that. And hopefully this kind of does the same. Um, and it does exist in its own loop, but then hopefully makes it, you think <laughs> as you watch it too. So it, it does, man. It does a great job of that. Thank and, you. and by the time you get to the, by the time you get to the end, and the way that you bring it all together in the back end, you sit there and you go, oh, that's why, that's why this is this way. And that's why these two things are combined. And, ah, uh, okay. Because Hopefully it's just a ride, it's a ride with a, it's a ride with a, a satisfying ending. You know, it's, it's not the, uh, the Chinese takeaway that, that, uh, leaves you feel unfulfilled. Hopefully it's, uh, <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. I'm trying to think of a, um, <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's, it's the falafel wrap of uh <laughs> of entertainment um but um uh but yeah i mean it, it's uh, i hope i hope people find it and i hope people like it and share it and and uh and enjoy the fun of it because it's funny when you said earlier about punisher and and, and poking you know poking the beast is that yeah some of these comments that make me I was going to say secretly smile, but I'm saying it publicly, uh, that make me smile, but also give me that little bit of fear is those fans. And I, and I use those in inverted commas because Star Wars fandom at the moment is a, is a strange place. Um, is that, mm -hmm. that go, 
fuck you, Disney. How dare you take two of my favorite films and mash them up in one film? Like, you, you, you know, you, you shouldn't do this. It's a sacrilege. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, because they've seen the trailer and thought it's a proper studio movie. And like, as a filmmaker that you set out to make, like, you, like I can't help but smile. But I'm also like, dude, calm down a little bit. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want, I don't want them to shut it down. Um, so yeah. Dude, it was like when I, it was like when I got my letter from them. Oh, the, the, I can't I, imagine. I got that letter. Well, I can sort of Dude, imagine got... actually because the uh, the other day I was in an airport um, and uh, I thought, oh, I'll just check on the sort of comments and and because uh, it's been fun, you know, <laughs> replying to people and, and doing that. And then uh-huh. it wouldn't load the page. It wouldn't load the trailer. <laughs> and and uh, it basically said. Um, it said something like restricted content, you know, can't be found. And I was like, Oh my God, they pulled it. Oh my God, they pulled it. Oh my God, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> and I, I almost missed my flight because I was like I, this. I mean, you tell me how you felt obviously going through it, but I, I, I've sort of, I can relate because I had this overwhelming fear and cold sweat that happened. And I realized it was probably just, it was a, I think it was a connection thing or YouTube being weird and it was back up. And the sense of relief I had was uh, when everything is riding on it. And I, when I say everything, like I've, you know, I've not necessarily like, you know, put my house on it, but I've pretty much put everything else, the curtains and the furniture in it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've, I've, I've gone big cause you have to. Um, yeah. but yeah, what was that like for you, man, getting that letter? You must've been absolutely devastated. Well, you know, when you first get it, you get it and you, it's from Marvel and you're like, Oh, and, and the sort of like, uh, not the ignorance, but just sort of the innocence that I had where I'm like, Oh wow, maybe they liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get it and it's got, it's got like the letterhead on it and you're just like, okay. And you start reading, you're like, okay, all right. All right. And, and it's just like, you know, uh, you have to stop doing this. Uh, but the one line that stuck out was something like, uh, it's just too good looking and people will be confused by the fact that it's, it could be official. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> like, there was a point of me where I was just like, yeah, you guys think it's good. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's the point. And I remember writing back to them going like, that's awesome. Can you just take it? How about I just give it to you? How about you pretend like you made it? How about that? How about you guys just take it? And they were just like, no, we don't take unsolicited material. And then you sit there and you understand why. You know what I mean? Because they were developing the Netflix shows for Daredevil and all that stuff. And by no means did any of the filmmakers of those shows look at my film. But when you look at those shows, I was doing a lot of that shit early on. And I think it's kind of that thing that floats around the zeitgeist where we're all sort of influenced by the same kind of shit. So I had just started doing that before those guys had done that. But one of the reasons why they say we're not going to take unsolicited material is that I could have just been like, well, they fucking ripped off my idea, even though no one saw it. You know what I mean? So I get it. I understand the business, why they they don't do that. It just sucks. And at the end of the day, it's us, like we've been saying the whole time, putting our hand up going, hey, 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 check this out. Check this out. Look over here. Look over here. I could direct an episode of Daredevil and it would be fucking great. And the... That's not the point anymore. It's not whether or not we're good at it. It's whether or not we know the people and we've spent the time and we've cracked the code and you get yourself in. And that's a risk that that I took doing that film. And I, that's a risk that you take doing your film. But I think you're, you're going to be fine. I, 
I, I don't think, I think because in the past, Lucas was so supportive of fan films, I think it's kind of like a, a bad look if Disney was like, you're not allowed to make Star Wars fan films. I think they'd have the fans kind of turn on them at that point. It's different because I did Marvel. You know what I mean? Oh, hearing that makes me shiver because that's kind of my fear is that, um, and this isn't boasting, it's like, is, is there, where is the line on the fan film? You know, like, can you, can you make something that looks too good? You mm-hmm. know, can you, you know, do they, uh, I'm very clear, everything we do is a fan film, it's a fan film. You know, it's not like, I've even steered clear of what a lot of fan films do is create their version of the Lucasfilm logo and stuff because I'm like, look, this is different. You know, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah, but I'm also a professional director. Like you know, this is I'm not about to make something that looks cheap. If I'm going to do this, it's like go big or go home. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it look like a movie because it's a movie. You know, yeah. Um, but what I love about Lucasfilm is that um, you know, if you look at uh, Star Wars theories, uh, he's a big YouTube YouTuber for Star Wars, and he made a fan film uh, about. Uh, Darth Vader it's supposed to be episode one of the fan series and he put a crap load of cash into it to make this film and Lucasfilm stepped in and helped him clear some music because uh, Warner, Tra- Warner Chapel was trying to claim copyright on the um, on the film and obviously then get the ad revenue and, be- and that's I think that's on like 15 million views now something ridiculous so we're talking some serious revenue that you're not obviously you can't make you're not allowed to make but his point was well why should Warner Chapel um, make the money based on a very small excerpt from a theme, you know? Right. So, and his looked good, you know, his, his was high quality. So, um, I guess I don't know whether there's a critical mass of these things. <laughs> um, I just live and breathe that I can, that it can come out. And, uh, well, I did. I think you're going to be fine. I think because what I was saying before is that I, Lucas has always been a supportive of fan films. And before it was bought, it was very much like fan film oriented and they support, they celebrated that stuff. And I think it would just be a bad look right now. If under the new ownership, they started to to clamp down on that stuff, because I think a lot of the fans would start to poo poo it. And I, I think mm. you, you, you picked the right subject material. I of course went in a different realm with, with Marvel and, and they really didn't have that fan film sort of history. I mean, there were a couple of films like Dirty Laundry and a couple of other films that sort of made it and did their own thing with it, um, which is weird. I don't know how we didn't. But um, no, I think you're fine, dude. And, and I think at the end of the day, uh, it's just about getting people to look at you as a storyteller. And you do have the skills, man. You got the chops. And we've I've already given you the accolades for the episode. I'm not going to... Thank you. I'm not going on continue. the poster. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but, um, but, you know, the, my question for you is because you've obviously spent a lot of your own money, which you've put in your, your own hard earned money and you technically can't make any of that back with the stuff. Yep. So what do you, what do you hope the outcome for this investment is for you professionally? Um, well, I mean, you know, my dream has never changed is, you know, I want to direct a Star Wars movie. I want to direct a, you know, a, a Back to the Future, a Jurassic Park. I, I want to direct a big uh, family action adventure, sci-fi, you know, big wide release multiplex film. That's the films that made me want to become a filmmaker. And that's the films that I continue to 
strive to try and make. Um, and uh, so, of course, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to um, to make that film. But it's also a film I just needed to make almost for me, really. Like, it, I know that's like a a very maybe privileged sounding thing to spend all this money and going to Morocco <laughs> and shoot this film for your own thing. But like, I, I've, the drive is, well, the drive's never gone, but the, the love is back. You know, talking about the love, yep. you know, this has been hard. This has been the hardest thing I have ever made. Um, and the people that the amazing team that I've worked with, it's the hardest thing they've ever made. And it's one of those things that is, has been made without compromise. And when do you, when do you get to say that? You know, when do you ever really get to say that? Like when I wrote the script, I wrote it not worrying about, I did the opposite to what people say, like, oh, write, write, write for your means, write for the things that you know how you can do. I wrote scenes in this film that I had no clue how I was going to make, like no clue. <laughs> I, I, and it was only from previsiting it and thinking about it and, you know, and just, going back to story and, you know, that whole thing about language and, and trying to make sure it's from a character's perspective and it's not kind of just lost in visual effects and sort of set pieces. Um, it's, uh, and then now to have it and watch it and go, holy crap, this is what I imagined it to look like. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that is very, that as a filmmaker and, and, uh, you know, it, I, this is the only film i've ever made that i can't wait to show people and well i've made obviously films that i, I love watching my you know films as an audience mm -hmm. but there's always a bit of nervousness like oh i wish i could have done this or maybe if i'd done that this film i'm like i'm i'm really proud of this film this film is very me you know i feel that it's exactly what we all set out to make and i think we pulled that off um and uh, and, uh, and that is something for us all to be proud of um, because, you know, yes, we spent a lot of money, but we're still, you know, the catering budget of a Marvel movie. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's still small chops compared to everything else. But I've got a talented team and people that saw the vision and, you know, really wanted to push hard Um and you know, like my amazing visual effects team is a is a, a company called Flipbook, who based in Manchester, uh, in the north of England. And yeah, you know, they do commercials and visual effects on some TV stuff. Uh, like this is like the you know the biggest, the most ambitious thing they've done. But their fans, their, their like stars, is what got some of them into wanting to do the visual effects, into wanting to do that job. Yeah. So then to work on a quote unquote Star Wars film with using that language that they've grown up with. Like we had whole conversations about the style of the lightsaber and how much it should flicker and how much blue there should be and how much, you know, and all this stuff. Um, Cause we're fans, but we're also filmmakers. So it's been a lovely kind of synergy um, of, of, uh, you know, creating a film that is kind of for fans, uh, but by fans that just so happen to have, kind of 10, 15 years experience making them. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't have made this film five years ago. I honestly don't think I could have made the film, you know, and I'd made features by then. Uh, so it's, it's and, and interestingly, when you talk about, you know, why now and why this film, you know, I, I, kids weren't even on my radar when I started 
working mm. on this film and now <laughs> I've got twins and, and it's, and I remember when, when, you know, um, when we became pregnant or, or my wife became pregnant, I never know which is the respectful way. It's, like <laughs> these, these days, <laughs> like, I don't you either. didn't carry them. We were not pregnant, <laughs> but, uh, you know what I mean? Um, the, uh, yeah, when the, I thought, oh, maybe this, they, cause obviously it changes you. So like, oh, maybe I'll see how silly this is. Maybe I shouldn't spend all this money on this, on this film, but it just gave me even more drive because now I feel like I'm making it for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of strange. Like I, it's like, oh, I'm making this, um, what, I'm making this for them so I can show that it when they're 12, you know, and, uh, and they can, they can enjoy that. And, uh, my drone, uh, operator, Neil, he's got, he's actually got twins as well, a bit older. <laughs> um than mine and they have watched the trailer so many times and he sent me little videos of them watching it and they're wide-eyed and and interested and they talk about it and how because they're they're the age of star wars they're loving it you know um and uh and it's so wonderful to see that imagination you've created something um that is the way i felt when i watched those films at that age you know it's it's very um it's a, it's a wonderful feeling and it's, it's the only thing that it's the power of films, that power of cinema, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, you should be, I mean, you should be very proud of it. It's a great piece. Um, and, um, I think it's going to do really well for you. What what does it matter what I think? But the truth of it is, is that I think once people hear about it and know about it and we'll, we'll promote it obviously to get our listeners to, to watch it. And then, Um, I think that the thing that's the most interesting to me is that you sound very excited about cinema again and very vibrant about cinema. And I I think we've been going for long enough at this point. This is usually around the time of the episode where I'll have the uh, guest sort of give a little bit of advice to the younger filmmakers and the young uh, artists that are listening to the show. And I think the place that it might be interesting to have you talk a little bit about is that dark is, is, you know, saying it in a star Wars way, coming back from the dark side, that, that mm. moment where you decided where you got so angry and you got so frustrated um, because it's going to happen to everybody. It's going to happen to yeah. each and every one of us multiple fucking times as we go yeah. through this process, because the truth of the matter is, is that this business beats you down hard. And oh, it's, yeah. And it's going <laughs> it to continue to do so. So I guess at what point, at what point did you start to, because you find yourself in this depression hole, because you, you end up being put in this hole. At what mm. point did you, did you see, did you see a way out? And was this way out just this good idea to do the short? Or was like what got you out of the hole specifically? Um, I think it's maybe a few. It's maybe a combination of things. It's sort of um, listening to yourself, you know, listening to or or be, having awareness of. I mean, I'm, you know, the only time I'm particularly grumpy is if I'm tired or you know, <laughs> using around now coming to the end of a film. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a positive person. Um, I'm, I'm more, I'm, you know, very can do. Um, and I wasn't that I found myself just hating 
the world a bit because I felt like, woe is me, like the world's beating me down and I'm, ne- I'm not never going to have this dream, so I'm just going to be grumpy about it. Um, you know, I think it's also listening to loved ones. Like my wife is like, you know, was uh, wonderfully encouraging. Um, and I feel like, because I had whole conversations to say, look, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Because, um, you know, I'm usually talking about a script and you saying I'm developing this or working on this or, oh, mm-hmm. I saw, I read this cool thing today or, oh, I went, you know, and I, we weren't having any of those sorts of conversations. And I sort of said that, um, uh, said to her, you know, I, I feel like I might be done. And, you know, I, I know her and I know she's probably thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, but she was like, okay. You know, like, let's see how it goes. And uh, as I say, I think it was a bit insufferable. And, uh, you know, she was like, go make something. Uh, <laughs> go shoot something. Go write something. Get out of the house. Uh, um, and, um, but yeah, but I think it was just putting pen to paper and writing something kind of for me. Do you know what I mean? Like I was, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I haven't stopped trying to push my career since I was like, 13 i know that sounds um silly but i feel very blessed to know back then i wanted to direct films i was very clear i knew what i wanted and i grew i grew up in a place where people didn't do that you know people weren't filmmakers you know people uh people kind of i know a few people sniggered at the idea of me being becoming a director and i'm like ha ha look at me now i've directed some adverts Enjoy that sofa. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, that wasn't really on the radar. And uh, um, so it's almost like it, 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 I've almost said um, it's funny. I, like, I, I had this kind of motto with my mates when we were uh, growing up and doing things. It was like, which was don't make excuses, make films. Because mm. I feel like it's really easy to make excuses and very hard to make the film. And, uh, you know, and it's, um, and what I feel like I'd done when I got into my little pit of, um, despair is like, I started to make those excuses like, Oh, well, it's not going to happen because of this. And maybe because of this and, you know, it's not going to happen, you know, um, maybe I'm just, should just do commercials. Maybe I'm not very good. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe because my films, because, you know, you, you, I'm very lucky to have done these features but, you know, they didn't blow up. And then you go, well, why didn't they blow up? It's well, maybe because they didn't blow up because of me, because other people's films have blown up. Look at It Follows. Look at Colin Trevorrow. Look at, you know, these films. Like, why am I not blowing up? Yeah. And you realize it's like because you have no control over what blows and what doesn't. I mean, look at Get Out. Nobody wanted to make Get Out. Nobody wanted to make it. Yeah. And then they made it and it won Oscars. So, so, the, so I lost the hope. You know, and 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 uh, I, I felt like feel it, maybe writing a film like this that is kind of full of hope and fun, um, and exactly the films I grew up watching that made that made me want to become a filmmaker. By making that film, has really, uh, you know, awakened the force in me <laughs> how many film titles can i get in here um no you know it has and um and it and it's it's uh it's a wonderful feeling it's a really wonderful feeling to have this piece of work or be it has taken years and it, and it's been enjoyable almost sort of putting the blinkers on 
Um, I mean, the good thing about that time was saying no to features um, because I got to a point where I probably could have continued making kind of low budget features yeah. that, you know, they were selling and they were in the supermarket. You could go into like a Walmart, you could buy them and, and stuff, which, you know, the first time that happened, I was like, this is amazing. Like, look, 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 you know, people would walk past my film on a shelf. Um, <laughs> I'd be like, I made that. You know, I, I sense of pride, but then that drive kicks in. He goes, "Okay, what next?" <laughs> it's right. like, "Okay, how, what's the next step? Like, get to the next step, Phil. Why are you not at the next step? Oh, Phil, you're you're about eight steps behind the next step. That guy's got there. That that woman's got there. Why are you not getting there?" And I hate that feeling. Yeah. You know, and and I feel like I, you know, the optimism started to be chipped away, um, and I realized that you know you you really shouldn't and can't compare yourself to others because. I think I said at the very beginning, everyone's got a very different way of getting into film uh, and, and surviving. And you can't ever compare yourself to other people. things I really like about this show is how we can get lost in tangents, right? Like I, whenever we put these things together, whenever I organize an episode, I have a general idea of what it is that I want to talk about, but I, sometimes I'll write out an outline. Sometimes I'll put it together. Um, but I just throw it out the window as soon as something interesting happens. And that's what I like about the show. Um, and I hope that's what you guys like about the show too, is that at the end of the day, I'm not creating cookie cutter content. We're just trying to create something that gets to the truth, gets to the core of it. And so for me, when I first started this episode, I was going to really hit him up hard on like, why are you doing a fan film? Is this just another fan film? But to hear that this film helped pull him out of that dark cave of fucking doubt that we all end up in, it's like, fuck yeah. Hell yeah, man. It was worth every dollar that he spent on that film to get in that mindset because you can hear it in his voice when he talks that he's excited to make movies and he's back on top so definitely check out his stuff I will put his links below watch this movie share the clips for this episode rate this episode talk about this episode for the love of God post about this episode get people to hear it because it will empower me to continue getting cool guests like the one you heard today I appreciate you listening. My voice is shot to shit. Ah, man, I had like the worst cold. Have you guys had this fucking cold that's been going around? It has been destroying my sinuses. And I just feel like every morning I wake up, I go through the process of coughing up cement (coughs) that is festering in my lungs. (coughs) Anyway, um, thanks for listening. And as always, the music that you're listening to is from the man, Mr. Code Electro. And what a lot of you don't know yet is that he is on tour. He is setting his tour dates. He's going on tour. Check him out. I will put links below. Uh, he's at code underscore electro uh, on Instagram. I think it's like codeelectro.com. I don't know. I'll put the links below. Be very specific about it. Uh, but here's the cool thing. You go see his show. I have edited all of the material that is playing in the background. So when you watch all that video footage and that super trippy concert shit that's going on, 
I did that. We talked. We did that together. So, pretty cool, right? I don't know if he's coming to the US. I know he's in Europe, guys. It's a lot of UK listeners. It's a lot of Germany listeners. It's a lot of people in Europe listening to the show. Go check him out. If you like that music that you're hearing in the background, he's on tour. Get to see some of my work. Get to see some of his work. It's going to be cool. Okay. Still got a lot of episodes to release, man. Um, So I hope you guys are enjoying the season. Uh, I hope you get ready for the fucking holiday season. I am going home next week to hang out with the parents. Um, And then I am here for Christmas. Gina and I will be in L.A., which is going to be like the wasteland because everybody goes home. We'll be here for Christmas. So maybe I'll put out a couple of episodes. Maybe I'll do a special Christmas episode. A holiday episode for everybody so they all feel included. Um, Yeah, that's what's up. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening.